Hello. Well, I apologize. I can't spin which direction I want to go. So the question is, why am I hanging here today? And the answer is, today we're going to be talking about total trust. Now, how many of you would agree it takes at least a little bit of trust to hang from a rope up here? Now, Philippians 4, 18. How many of you believe what it says? <laughs> how many of you are waiting me to read it? <laughs> and then you're going to be like, sure, yeah, I believe that verse too. Philippians 4.18 says this. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. So that's why I'm here. I want to talk about trust. And the Bible says in Philippians 4.19 Excuse me, that was Proverbs 3, 5, 8, 5, 6 I just read. Philippians 4, 19 says, And my God will meet all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. So, how many needs? All. How many of you have needs? I mean, that, that means everything. That means your relational needs for, you know, with your kids, with a spouse, that means your health needs. How many of you guys need, feel a need to be healthy? Okay. God says, I'll supply those needs. How many of you occasionally find a need for money? Okay. So God says he'll supply those needs as well. Now, how many else has noticed that the easiest time to trust God is when we think we know how he's going to do it? Have you, have you ever noticed that? So, for example, an engaged person doesn't have a hard time thinking God can find me a spouse because they've got it figured out. I'm pretty sure it's going to be that one. But someone who's single, they might struggle with that a little bit more. Some people need their finances taken care of and, and they have a great job. And so they don't struggle that much to trust that God could possibly do something in their financial arena. Why? Because they already have a job. So they say, you know what, I think God is going to supply my needs through this job. But other times, it's not so obvious. So we're, we're sitting there and, and, and this rope is going to represent my trust in God tonight. Okay. So I want to imagine, you to imagine that, that I'm a person and I'm trusting God for finances. And then I, I, I'm in faith and, and everything, and then God sends me a job. Okay? Right from heaven comes provision. And I'm so excited because this is exactly what I was praying for. This is going to supply my needs. So I take that. I'm going to clip that in right here. All right. There it is. This is the job that God sent for me. And now I should be able to straighten myself out. There we go. So I have this job that came from God and I'm excited about it. I'm, I'm trusting in him and he provided a job. 
How many of you remember the story of Abraham? Abraham is the father of the faith. God promised him that he would be the father of many nations. Do you remember that? And he told him pretty much that Isaac, his son, would be who he would become the father of many nations through. Do you remember what happened? Abraham is minding his own business one day. He's, you know, he was having faith in God, and he finally got that son, and, and he got pretty excited about it, and the son's starting to grow up, and he's, he's seeing it. He's like, okay, I know how God's going to provide for me. And then God says to him one day, take your son, go up to the top of Mount Moriah, and offer him as a sacrifice to me. Now, how many of you know that would have been tough? So, just a second here, I'm going to put this in my, my pocket there. What we tend to do, and I think Abraham did this too, he was trusting God, just like we are without, you know, about to get the job, but then when the job comes, you know, we, we kind of begin to rely a little bit on that job. And then pretty soon, we realize we've moved over here, and most of my trust is now in the job. And hey, it works. You know, I, I'm, I'm good. I've got this job. I've got to use this to keep myself straight. I've got the job. I'm trusting him. This is, this is my trust in God. This is the job. God provided me this job. Abraham was looking at that saying, God sent me this son. I know this is how things are going to work out. And then God says to him, sacrifice your son. Now, how many of you have had a good job before? You know, and that, that thought enters your mind. What if I lose that job? And you know what else goes through your mind? It's like, oh, God wouldn't do that to me. I mean, this is the job he gave me. The Bible says that God changes not, right? But how many of you realize God doesn't change, but that doesn't mean the tool he uses won't change, right? Malachi 3.6 says, For I am the Lord, I change not. But some of us are so convinced that we, we begin to look and put our trust not in God, but in what he's provided for us. And I think that's part of the reason that Abraham was tested by God. We also know that that God was giving him a chance to, to be willing to give up his, his son so he would give up Jesus Christ, and in fact, in the same mountain. But we get that, and, and how many of you would say you have a good job right now? All right. So right here I've got my Leatherman, and uh, I'm going to pull out the knife part here. These Leathermans are sharp, very sharp. So here's what happens. There starts to get rumors of layoffs. Just rumors. And then you're like, oh my. I, I hope I'm not next. God wouldn't do that to me. I mean, you know, I, I, I trusted him and he gave me this job. And, and pretty soon, we see the rumors are true and one of our colleagues gets laid off. Uh-oh. 
Now, how many of you can tell where we're going with this? <laughs> All right? This, this is how a lot of people live, okay? I trusted God, but now they're freaking out. They're panicking because this is what their life looks like. It looks like it's coming unraveled and they don't know what to do. The Bible says, I am your Lord, I change not, but our circumstances sometimes do. Woo! And then God catches us. Every time he's like, I don't, I don't want him landing on me. So then God, God was there all along. Now, how many of you realize that he wasn't going to let you fall? Now, I had a verse. I think it's the absolute best verse ever for this illustration. Here's what it says. Romans 11:22. Notice how God is both kind and severe. He is severe to those who disobeyed, but kind to you as you continue to trust in his kindness. But if you stop trusting, listen to this verse, if you stop trusting, you will also be cut off. <laughs> so, it's trust. Trust in God. Now, I'm saying that, but we're going to break it down a little bit. These are not meant for long-term sitting. So, I'm going to come down and finish this up on stage. All right. Okay, there we go. All right. All right. Okay. Here we go. So I was in Romans 11, 22. Now, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Here's what it says. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor nor spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. And that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, thrown into the fire. Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I want to talk about how to gain trust, how to have trust, and how to keep trust in God. Psalms 37.25, I quoted the scripture just a few weeks ago. I was talking to someone, it says, and when I was young and now I'm old, 
Yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. How many of you heard that verse before? How many of you remember what verse comes next? I think this is so interesting. We say that and we say, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. My analytical mind, when I hear that, I just try to go through the annals of time. When were the righteous? Is there ever a righteous person? You know, I'm thinking, you know, was this verse ever wrong? And I think of a few cases where it's like, well, you know, it seems. And then I read the next verse. It's specific about which righteous people it's talking about. It says this. It says, they are always generous and lend freely. Their children will be blessed. One of the ways that we trust in God is giving. How do I build trust? I give. The Bible is clear that the person who is generous, the righteous man who is generous, that's the righteous man the scripture says, I have never seen that person forsaken and begging bread. It's a principle. What you sow, you will also reap. If a farmer has planted a lot of seeds, that farmer has a big harvest. Many of us need to plant so that we can have that harvest. Isaiah chapter 26 verse 4 says, Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the rock, the Lord is the rock eternal. Forever he is there giving that second half really, really rings true. And then Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. This is a famous verse. It says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this. You realize there are not very many places where God says, Test me. But in this one, he says, Try me. If you will be generous, you will see my blessing come. If we want to... to trust in God, the first place where we should begin to, to exercise is in our giving. The second thing to build our trust is to put our focus on the right things. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 and 18 says, so we fix our eyes on what is seen, or not on what is seen, but, what is, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. If you listen to that verse, you say, so I look at what I can't see? Isn't that kind of a paradox? It is a paradox. When I think of a paradox, I think of a little rhyme I learned when I was a kid. It said, I come before you to stand behind you to tell you something I know nothing about. One bright morning in the middle of the night, two dead boys came out to fight. Back to back, they faced each other, drew their swords and, swords and shot each other. If you doubt my story is true, ask the blind man. He saw it too. It's all full of paradox. You can't be one bright morning in the middle of the night. You can't be drawing swords and shooting. You can't, it, how can you see what is unseen? Romans 10, 17 says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We see through the eyes of faith and our focus, and that faith comes from hearing. I like the story of Elisha's servant in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 15. It says, when the servant of 
the man of God got up and went out early the next morning. An army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. And he went back to Elisha and says, what are we going to do? Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. What he did is he wasn't focused on what was actually happening. See, I, I remember a time when, when I was in college, I was working for uh, Rick Renner's ministry. And in that, that office, there was a fellow, his name was Mark, and he was over the entire um, shipping and receiving, and, and they had books, and, and they did tape duplication. That's how far back it was, doing tape duplication. And so I was hired there to work for him to duplicate tapes and to, to work in that department. And I was kind of the, the office gopher and I was doing all of this stuff. And, and then there was the office manager over him and I was under Mark. I was his one employee. And I don't think he'd ever had an employee before. And uh, one day the, the office manager, the main guy, calls me in my office. And he says, Josh, I've had a complaint. And I'm... Like, oh, you know, I mean, you just, even when you haven't done anything wrong, you ever notice you get called to like the boss's office and you're just like, <gasps> did I do something? So I go in there and he says, your boss says that you have been insubordinate. And I'm, I'm just all ears. I'm like, really? And he says, so I asked him, I said, does he do everything you ask him to do? Oh yeah, he does. Does you know, is he disobeying? Is he talking back? Is it what, what, you know, trying to find what I had done wrong. And fortunately for me, the, soup, the, the office manager was, was wise and, and went looking in it. And he said, and I figured out what the problem is. And I'm like, good, because I don't know. I thought I was doing everything. He said, you do everything he asks. You do it how he asks. You do it when he asks. But he is afraid of losing his job. When I talk to him, he is afraid of me. And when he got an employee, he expected that employee to be afraid of him. And you're not afraid. And he asked me, asked me before he said this, he goes, so, you know, what would you do if you lost this job? And I said, well, you know, that would be disappointing, but God gave me the job. I know he'll bring me another one. And and it was right after I said that, he said, this is, this is what I'm finding. He said, he doesn't understand why you aren't afraid of him the way he's afraid of his boss. And it was, a, it was an eye-opening experience to me because I realized, you know, that when we walk trusting God and not that second situation, it changes the way we live. I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands, but how many of you have, have spent time living in fear? That is not the way God designed us to live. When we're in fear, when we're sitting there and, and our life is like that rope was a little bit ago where we're just hanging there and the frayed ends are, are zipping every which way, 
It, it shows. It shows. But when, when we live the way God designed us to live, then we have peace. And people will look at that and they'll be like, how in the world do you have peace in this situation? And you can just answer and say, you know, I'm trusting God. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? I love this. The king threatens that anybody who doesn't bow down to the altar of the, you know, this big statue that he set up, that they're going to be thrown into the, the fiery furnace. And, and when they, they disobey, some people come to him and say, quick, you've got a chance. You want, don't you want to do this? And he, and he says, you know what? We trust in God. Either he saves us or he doesn't. But either way, he can. They just had peace. They knew he had it covered. Some people read that verse and say that they knew for certain that they wouldn't be burned. Other people say, you know what, they were willing to die. To me, it doesn't matter. They had peace. Either way, their trust in God gave them peace. So, we focus not on what's happening in front of us, but what on what's happening in the spirit realm. When we realize greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, we can have peace. When, when those around us are like the, the, the servant, they're focused on the, the big army that seems to have surrounded him. And the Bible says that his eyes were open and he looked up and he saw that the, the skies were filled with angelic hosts. And he realized, whoa, okay, what I was looking at before wasn't the whole picture. Now I can relax. Another thing that builds trust, we find it in, chap in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. It says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It says, seek first. Here's the, the, the next tip. Is in order to build trust in God, we must prioritize. Prioritize. Okay? Mark chapter 4 verse 18 says, And these are the, those sown among thorns. It's, the, it's a part of the parable of the sower. And he was talking about the, the seeds that were thrown amongst the thorns. And it says, and he compared them to someone who hears the word, and then the cares of this world and the deceit of riches and the lust of other things enter in and choke the world, the word, and it becomes unfruitful. So, what are the cares of this world? The cares of this world, if we boil it down to it, that's what's for lunch. Is it wrong to wonder what's for lunch? No. No, it's not. But, what if that is my most predominant thought? What if... I am obsessed with that. It reminds me when I was a kid, my parents had a very large garden. Like our garden was as big as these whole two sections here. In fact, they hired a farmer to come in, drop his till and just make the garden and then we kids had to weed it. 
And I remember that my parents sent me down there and they said, you know, all right, you, you've done this before, you know what the weeds look like, and you know what they don't. Now go in there, pull out all the weeds. So I'm in the green bean section, and I'm going along and I'm pulling out the weeds, and I come across this plant that was not a weed. I recognized it from the year before. It was a watermelon plant. And, you know, as happens in a garden, some of the watermelons hadn't gotten picked. The seeds had managed to stay in the garden, and it was growing from the year before. And so, I know better than to pull that. So I left the watermelon in the middle of the green beans. Guess what we had that year? Watermelon. Guess what we did not have that year? Green beans. Now, there was nothing wrong with the watermelon plant. It was just in the wrong place. It was where it didn't belong. There's nothing wrong with what's for lunch. To, to, to have thoughts about the cares of this world. But the priority, their placement, is what matters. You see, if, if my obsession with, with the cares of this world is above the place where I put my thoughts about God's provision, then the cares of this world choke out the word in my life. If God's word is, isn't a higher priority, then, then the cares of this world, then it gets choked out. I will have a hard time living in the peace that God designed for me, trusting in God. If I am totally prioritized, focused on that frayed rope right in front of me. I like 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. It says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. So this verse, it just kind of has like a very intense feel to it, doesn't it? The weapons of our warfare, these are some pretty intense words, are not carnal, but mighty. Lots of powerful roles in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing, other verses say thoughts, that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God and bring, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So it starts out talking about warfare and strongholds and mighty and it ends with thoughts. You expect it to go to this, this place where, you know, all right, there's going to be something major. What is it that, that, that we need all this warfare against? Is it a demon with a really long name? No, it's thoughts that, what does it say? Exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. You know what it means to exalt? It's to lift oneself up. So what are we really, what is our warfare against? Our warfare is against thoughts that we lift up higher than the thoughts of God. Our knowledge of God, the reality, God is my provider. Oh, but I've just been thinking about how many bills I have and how much it's going to take to do this and how much, what's for lunch? And we get so obsessed with the thoughts, they're, they're not wrong. They're a watermelon plant in the middle of the green beans. Either transplant it or throw it out. But when we, when we allow those thoughts to be out of priority, then we're not trusting in God anymore. The Bible says that those thoughts choke 
the word. Basically, they cancel the effectiveness that God's word was intended to have in our lives because we exalted them. We gave them the wrong priority. We lifted them up above where they belonged and we put our focus in them. The next thing we can do to build and strengthen and keep our trust in God is to look at what he's already done. We look back. Now, some of you may have said, wow, that was really, that must have been really hard to work up the nerve to hang from the ceiling of this room. And I'm going to have to say, it wasn't so nerve-wracking because I've been a lot higher than that. Can we put up one of the pictures, please? That's me on the side of Potrero Chico. Or Potrero, yeah, Chico, yeah. Redondo. That's a, a mountainside in there. Let's go to the next one. Yeah, all right, one more. I want the one with the pickup trucks. Can you see the pickup trucks down in the bottom left of the, of the picture? Yeah, so on that climb, I got about six or 700 feet up. Now, by that time, I had fallen a lot of different times onto the, the rope. I was used to it. I knew if I slip, I, I'm good. So when I look back and say, okay, it was, it was good for that. Then, then come in here. It's not so hard. It's not so hard. See, David was called by God to kill Goliath. How many remember the story? And, and he gets called before he shows up and he sees that Goliath is, is mocking the Israelites and he says, okay, what's going to be done for the person who takes Goliath out? And they say, well, he gets to, to live tax-free. He gets to marry the king's daughter. Oh, and she's pretty, by the way. And, you know, There'll be money given to his family and all. He's like, all right, I'm in. And the king calls him over and says, what makes you think? He says, you're just a little pipsqueak. You're like a 14, 15-year-old kid. What makes you think you can do this? And you know what David answered? He said, well, when your servant was just a shepherd boy, <laughs> when your servant was just a shepherd boy, that was yesterday. By the way, yesterday, when I was just a shepherd boy, a lion came, and with God's help, I killed it. And then a bear came, and with God's help, I killed it. And so I know that with God's help, I can face Goliath. Sure, he's, you know, the lion, that was, that was a big deal. But then it came to the bear, and now I'm confident that God's going to be with me. Why? Because he looked back. At, at the history of what God had already done in his life. That's in 1 Samuel 17, 34, if you're taking notes. And it's interesting that in verse 33, Saul, he just flat out tells him, he says, you're not able to go out against this Philistine. How do you like that pep talk? How many of you ever received that pep talk? You're not able. How did David overcome the king of the land telling him, you just flat out can't do it. He looked back 
at the history that he knew he had with God. And he said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. Now, when we tell that story, we have to read the scripture, Acts chapter 10, verse 34. And this is what it says. Then Peter opened his mouth and said of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. What that means is God doesn't have favorites. You know what that means? That means that if I hear a story in my own life, if I look back in my own history, that can be encouraging to me. But I don't have to go back in just my history. I can listen to you talk about what God has done in your life. Because can I tell you something? God doesn't have favorites. And if he did it for you, he'd be willing to do it for me. So you were once depressed and, and, and heartbroken and God healed your heart, your hurt, your depression. Well, then, then he can do that for me. And we begin to exalt our knowledge of him above those thoughts and cares. And we put things in the right priority. We look back at the history that we have with God and that God has with each one of his kids. And we use that to say, okay, I can trust him because look what he did for me. Look what he did for her. Look what he did for him. Look what he did for them. In fact, I encourage you, what night is our Thanksgiving service? I mean, it's the week of Thanksgiving, but in two weeks, in two weeks, we'll be having a um, testimony service, I think, in this same room, right? Yeah. In three weeks. In three weeks. You know what's so exciting about it? That anything that he does in their lives, he'd be willing to do in yours. See, that is how we build up our trust. Another way that we build trust in our life with God is in chapter uh, 17 of John, verses 7 and 8. It says, Now they know they have known that all things which you have given me are from you, for I have given them the words which you have given me, and they have received them. Other translation says, and they have obeyed them, and they know that they surely came from you, and that they have believed you sent me. This is Jesus praying to God, and he says, my disciples know that my words come directly from you because they obeyed them. Now, this is my son sitting here in the front row. If I said to Noah, I said, Noah, stand up and do a circle around this whole sanctuary and then come back and sit down in your seat. And he obeyed. Do you think he would come back sitting down going, oh my goodness, my dad's words come straight from God. <laughs> Probably not. He has obeyed me before. And I'm sad to report, he is not convinced that every word out of my mouth comes directly from God. But that's what Jesus said happened to him. He says, my disciples obeyed my words and now they're convinced that my words come from God. Why is that true? Because when we obey a word from God, it releases the supernatural. Think about what happened to, to the, the disciples of Jesus. They came to him and said, Jesus, we, we owe taxes and we don't have it. He says, go fishing. Okay, but... but did you hear me? We need money for the taxes. They go out, the first fish that they catch, he says, look in its mouth. Oh, there's a coin to pay the taxes with. Oh, okay. 
God, Jesus, we, we, we got a problem. There are 5,000 people here, and they need food, and they need it pronto. Well, what do you have? We, we got this one kid's lunch that we've been scoping out, and we were hoping we were going to share. And he says, no, take that, have everyone sit down, break it, and pass it out. Uh, did, did you hear us say it was only one lunch? Yep, just obey. Okay. They do it. It feeds the entire group. Now, when supernatural things start happening each time you obey, how many of you realize then you're going to start to realize there's something going on with that person? That's what Jesus says. He says, they obeyed me. It's the same with you and I today. Some of us are like, well, I don't see anything miraculous going on in my life. Well, that's because you're not obeying anything he told you to do. We'll go back to the same example we were just re talking about, Abraham. I started out talking up there about how Abraham was sent to, to offer his son Isaac. And I love the scripture because it actually says when, when God interrupts him, we know that he, Isaac, he goes up there, he puts Isaac on the altar, he lifts the knife to follow through with what God asked him to do. And, and God sends his angel to stop him. And he says, stop! And then he says this. He says, because you did this. In other words, because you obeyed, blessing, I will bless you. And multiplying, I will multiply you. And he goes on into this whole big blessing that God is going to give Abraham because he obeyed. Where was the blessing? It was on the other side of obedience. If we want to build trust in God, we're going to have to take that first step of obedience. A lot of us are sitting back here waiting, okay, God, do something magical in my life. I want to see the supernatural. And he's like, well, have you obeyed? Um, well, I was kind of waiting for you to show up first. And he says, that's not how it works. Seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these things will be added unto you. You can say it with me. Say, blessing is on the other side of obedience. Of obedience. It's Genesis chapter 22, verse uh, 16, where he says, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And then in verse 20, uh, verse 13 of, of chapter 22, it says, Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. The last thing that I want to, to leave you with for building faith is to know the ram is on its way. So here's what I want you to think about. When, when Abraham was packing for the trip, where was the ram? It, it, I don't think it was in the thicket yet, right? Because the thicket was apparently right there where he could see. But that ram was probably on a different mountainside, just minding his own business, doing his thing. 
And Abraham starts off there and he's, he's on his way and he's got Isaac with him. And the Bible tells us that Isaac says to him, he says, Dad, we've got everything with us that we usually take for an offering. We've got the wood. We've got the fire. We've got everything. They used to put the coals in like a bag of sand and they'd bring it along and then they'd bring it to life. A lot bulkier than a bag of matches, but that's the way they did it. So he says, we've got all of that stuff, but where is the sacrifice? And Abraham's thinking, well, it's you, but I'm not going to tell you because you run faster than me these days. So he doesn't say, he says, he says, God will provide. Now, what was happening at that exact moment? He didn't know what was going to happen. But already God had called that ram and had him working his way towards that thicket. Abraham didn't see it. He didn't know. But his provision was already in the works. God had planned ahead. And it was on his way. And so he gets up there and he's tying up Isaac. He doesn't know what's going to happen. But what is God doing? He is sending that ram to come through. The provision was on his way. God has provision on the way. And you just can't see it yet. But he has it there. When I can't see it coming, the ram is on the way. Even when I don't see it. Even when I don't realize it. When Satan is trying to discourage me, guess what? God is still working things out and he has the ram on the way. When the problem is all that I can notice, where is the solution? It's on the way. I want to say this. So when I, I say that to myself sometimes. When I'm looking at a situation and I don't know how it's going to work out, I just say, the ram is on the way. I don't know where God's going to bring it from. But my ram is on the way. I'm trusting in God. When I realize that he sees the beginning from the end, he knows what's going to happen. He knows that I'm going to put my trust in him. He has already put things into work. How many of you have seen the little like picture um, of of the guy who, who's mining for diamonds and he, he quits and it's like a cross section of the, the ground and you can see he quit like just inches away from these pile of diamonds and then he just walks off. You know, I think about those kind of things all the time. I think God is sending me provision. He's got my back. Am I trusting that it'll be there or do I quit and give up and just walk off? And God's like... The ram was there. You just so close. I had you. I had you. You just had to take that one more step. This is what Matthew 6, 7, and 8 says. We'll close with this. It says, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Ever thought that? Oh, I better have a really long prayer. No, God says that's, that's not it. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Before you ask Him. <laughs> the ram is on the way. He is there. He is listening. We just need to step out in obedience. That will trigger the supernatural. We keep in priority His Word 
his promises over the, day, the cares of this world. We look back at what he's done in our lives, in other people's lives. We keep our focus not on the seen, but on the unseen realities that we know are true. And we don't quit being generous. We give. And that will build our trust. And hopefully, then you follow these scriptural tips. You won't be out there focused on just that frayed rope. When the situation comes, you'll have peace. Everyone around will be like, well, everything's frayed and it's, 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 your, your life seems to be hanging by a thread. You're like, oh, that's all right. There's a whole other rope there. Don't worry. God's got me. I know he does. He always has. And he always will.